Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Body wrappers Angelo Luzio, makers of high-quality total stretch tights, dancewear, performance wear, and Angelo Luzio shoes, is a proud sponsor of this episode of Conversations on Dance. Body Wrappers has Tyler Peck, principal dancer with the New York City Ballet, as its spokesperson and designer of Tyler Peck Designs for Premiere. Tyler's beautiful original designs fit perfectly are ideal for class, rehearsal, or performance and move well with the body and won't ride up in the back. Body Wrappers also makes apparel for ballet, jazz, modern, lyrical, hip-hop, tap, team, liturgical, performance wear for competition and recital, as well as Angelo Luzio shoes, all designed to enhance your experience while dancing. You may view all the products at bodywrappers.com or to purchase Tyler Peck designs by Body Wrappers, go to dancewearcorner.com. I'm Rebecca King-Ferraro. And I'm Michael Breeden, and you're listening to Conversations on Dance. Today we are joined by New York City Ballet principal dancer Gonzalo Garcia. Born in Spain, Mr. Garcia began studying ballet at the age of eight at Maria Avila's school. In 1995, he came to the U.S. to study at the San Francisco Ballet School's Summer Intensive. He then went on to become the youngest dancer to ever win a gold medal at the Prix de Lausanne. He returned to San Francisco Ballet School to complete his training where he was asked to join the company in 1998. He was promoted to principal in 2002. In 2007, he joined the New York City Ballet as a principal dancer. Today, we talk with Gonzalo about his training in Spain, coming to the U.S. at such a young age, deciding to take the leap of changing companies, and what he is considering doing after his ballet career. So we are so lucky that we have Gonzalo Garcia in person today, as uh, Rebecca and I are both in New York, so it's always much more fun to do this live, rather than have to sort of envision what the other person is doing via Skype. (laughs) So uh, thank you for joining us, Gonzalo. Thanks for having me, guys. All right, we'll just get started. Um, You began your training in Spain. Can you tell us a little bit about what your early years as a dancer were like? Well, uh, my training started in a very, very tiny, small school that it was uh, really uh, tiny. The, the 
the reason why I went there was because, you know, I was very hyper, I, I love music, and my mom didn't really know what to do with it. So she took me to a jazz class, and she found this very little studio. And uh, there the teacher said, oh, I think he actually likes it, he has musicality, I think he should do ballet. Because ballet is really going to give him the you know, uh, technique and to do any other kind of dancing that he might like. So I started doing ballet and um, soon enough uh, we heard about a very good studio there uh, called Maria de Avila. And uh, we were very lucky because he was one of the most famous ballet uh, studios in Spain. And uh, we found out that he had uh, produced all the major dancers have come out of the school. And it was literally 50 minutes away from our house. So, you know, so there we went. Uh, we had a little, you know, talk with the teacher. And on Monday I was there taking class and... Right away when I came into the studio, you could just feel that serious, you know, uh, professional almost environment. And so my training started really becoming serious there when I came to Maria de Avila, who is now passed away, but uh, who really was uh, really the creator of all these famous Spanish dancers. He's the one that is kind of responsible for all of it. So in 1995, you attended a summer program at the San Francisco Ballet School. So what, how did you come to the decision to uh, study in the States, and what in particular drew you to San Francisco Ballet? This was an idea that came uh, when I was 14 years old. I think my parents were really like, oh, this is getting serious. And it was pretty obvious at that point in Spain that if you had, if you wanted to have a, a good uh, professional career or even a career in dance, you had to leave. You have to leave Spain and, and find a job somewhere else. So my parents were like, I wonder if he's going to really want to do that. So I think uh, to the um, proposition of Lola de Avila, who was becoming the artistic director of the school at, the, at that time, she said, well, you know, It'll be good for him to go for a summer program to San Francisco, be away from you guys, uh, be exposed to a different environment, different dancers, and see how he reacts, if he likes it. And it's only six weeks, and, you know, the, he'll be with many different kids. He'll learn a little bit of the language and see what happens, you know. And I think my parents thought, oh, he's going to come back and be like, I'm done with dance, you know. <laughs> and I came back, and I was like, I want to be an American, you know. It was just <laughs> like, I want to do this. This is amazing, you know. I had Jorge Esquivel, who was a Cuban teacher, that I uh, was there uh, so I, all of a sudden I was in a full class of just men you know boys having boys technique and all these things which in Spain in my uh, studio there were not that many boys so all of a sudden there was all these new you know things for me to learn so I was determined to come back to the States and 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 study more. I don't want to sidetrack the conversation too much, but uh, after having had Joaquin Deleuze on the show too, um, and he said it was the same thing, that you needed he needed to get out of Spain in order to uh, really pursue his dreams of a professional career. But um, considering that so many there are so many talented Spanish dancers, why do you think that the country itself hasn't formed um, you know, a, a major company that is a big draw for talent? 
Yeah, it's kind of sad, but, uh, you know, it's a bit unorganized. I think the priorities just don't go towards the arts. And I think, you know, Spain uh, went through a major civil war and all these things. And I, I think they needed a lot of time to recover. So the arts never took a specific point of view. And I think uh, sports and specifically soccer are uh, things that are huge in Spain. They produce incredible amount of, amounts of money. And I think uh, to really want to have a better company, you need a strong leadership. You need a lot of support. And I don't think that is something that the government has had as a priority, um, which is sad, you know, because the obviously the teachers and the dancers, they're, you know, very strong. But I don't think the leadership towards uh, dance has been strong enough. So sooner or later, everything falls apart. Things come you know, to a point where somebody wants to do something and there's a lot of, uh, you know, energy going at the beginning. But as soon as you realize, oh, $200 a point suit and a tutu is so beautiful, but so expensive, you know, they're very ignorant about these things. So until somebody comes in that is not ignorant about it and is really passionate, then things will always will stay the same, I think, in Spain, unfortunately. So after your brief time with um, at the San Francisco Ballet Summer Course, you went on to become the youngest dancer to win a gold medal in the Prix de Luzanne. Um, what was it, that experience like for you? Yeah, that was basically a continuation when I came back <clears throat> from the summer program and I was like, I want to be an American. Mm-hmm. My parents were like, what do we do now? Because at that point, at San Francisco Ballet School and many American schools, they were really giving scholarships to foreign kids you know that was uh for people from the area or american kids and so the idea was let's go to, to a competition get some money get a scholarship and come back to america so that's why i went to the pre de Lausanne to with the idea of uh gaining a scholarship and ended up being an amazing experience because the pre de Lausanne has changed uh, a lot since then but when I went, every four years, they used to take the final to a major theater around the world. So they had done it at the Covent Garden, at the Garnier in Paris, and that year was at the Bolshoi Theater. So it was a major, you know... Um, thing because we started in Lausanne in Switzerland and we did uh, two weeks of uh, eliminations there and then we would go to Russia and do the semi-final and the finals there and we got to dance at the Bolshoi Theater and then I did well I got you know a scholarship and the gold medal and I was you know you know pretty much shipping my way to America after that. I think that's so wonderful that your parents obviously supported you I mean because you were so young at that point and to to say hey mom and dad not only do i need to move to america but i also got to go like win this competition in another country first and um so what was what was that like your parents always just supported you and understood that this was something you were very passionate about yeah i think that it wasn't until later in my uh, older age and understanding that I was just incredibly, incredibly lucky with my parents because they did not know anything about dance. They, uh, you know, they love the arts and they just basically saw some talent in me and they just went with it. And they saw that that talent uh, was respected in, in places, you know, teachers will uh, encourage them and they just never, ever made me think that I was doing something different. And I'm a twin, I'm a twin brother. And my twin brother, you know, he never wanted to dance he played sports and they never made me feel like dance was something unusual so I went to ballet class as my brother went to tennis and things just kept getting bigger and bigger and I think that 
a, a huge amount of my success that I have had in my life or in my career, it's to that. It's to the regards that my parents were always incredibly supportive and I'm very lucky. And I'm sure that there was many nights, the two of them in the room saying, what are we doing? We're, <laughs> going, we're going to Russia. He's going to San Francisco. He's moving away. You know, I'm sure it wasn't an easy road, but I think that they just took it one year, one day at a time. And they obviously saw that it was paying off. You know what I mean? That I think that I was uh, successful. I was gaining scholarship. I was getting things. So I think that that probably made them more confident about what they were doing with their kid. But I don't think they had, um, you know, any idea what they were getting into either. So it was amazing. I, I was very lucky. So um, you've, you've won the scholarship money, you're, you're ready to go to America, but what made you decide specifically San Francisco Ballet? Was that the company that you knew you wanted to be in as a professional? Well, San Francisco Ballet, really, the major issue, I didn't know that much about uh, different American companies or the American style, uh, but I had spent a summer program there. So my experience during that, experiences during that summer program were so enriched, you know, amazing. I learned so much that, and also Lola de Avila, who was a big person that my family knew because she was the daughter of Maria de Avila, who was my uh, first teacher. There was a huge connection there. So San Francisco Ballet just seems like, a major company and also just the right choice for a younger uh, guy that is leaving, you know, home and moving so far away. I think that it was a piece of um, calm um, of mind that, that it was calm for my family. But I really was, I didn't really know anything about ballet, American companies until I was fully already there for the full year. So was there an element of culture shock, not only the language, the culture, but also in terms of ballet, because it is different in the States than in Spain. So how did you deal with that? And, and when did you start to overcome that? It was definitely a bit of a culture shock because um, I didn't speak English that well. And it took me six months to really start to start to really making sense of the language and things. But, um, you know, my training there was so diverse, you know, that I started to having more American training and I started learning balancing ballets. And but I also had a Cuban teacher. And so I think that it, it was a bit of a shock but also I was just so happy about all this information that was coming in that I never questioned, oh, this is right or wrong, or, you know, I was just so um, enthralled by all of it. And it wasn't really until a few years later that I really understood what the American technique was more about and uh, the energy, the dynamic, all of those things. But really when I started learning the balancing balance is when I started to get more uh, that feeling. But yeah, it was shocking, but also I think it was just like vitamins. I needed that. Mm -hmm. So you uh, went through a quick quick rise at uh, San Francisco Ballet, joining in 1998 and becoming a principal only four years later. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your early time in the company? It was uh, fast, yes, but I think it was just also perfect timing, you know. All these things are like talent and timing, and I think I came in uh, at a time in the company where uh, they needed, uh, you know, people my size doing all these uh, energetic, dynamic 
technical uh, rep that uh, some people had been doing at that point and they were now letting go of that repertoire. So, you know, that I think helped me definitely move faster in the ranks. Um, but um, I think I was just very open and very ready and always working. And, and I think the fact that I was in the school for a little over two years and a half and I had already been understanding things in the core with the company, when I came into the company, I was very, I was an unknown to them and they were not unknown to me and um, I think that's very beneficial these days for companies now that they have these trainee programs or second companies you know the directors get to work with them or see them a lot on stage and so the the possibility of moving fast in the company when you get in it's it's very good and I think that happened to me I think that it was a combination of they already really knew me for those years in the school and timing was just fantastic. Mm -hmm. Are there certain roles or experiences that you think specifically led to your promotion to principal? Yeah, I think that, um, you know, San Francisco Valley does a lot of uh, robins. So I think that um, I started uh, really doing a lot of those robins, dances of a gathering. Um, I did glass pieces. I was really uh, pushed. Did you do brown boy and, and dance right away? Yeah, I did. Oh. I learned brick. Uh -huh. I was first cast brick. But then they also had me uh, learn brown boy. I was the third cast of brown boy or fourth cast. You know, everybody else was a principal and I was mm -hmm. still... I think I was a soloist by them or had just been promoted. But then there was injuries that happened. And, and so that I ended up being the second cast for Brown right. Boy. Wait, so and you were going back and forth between those parts? I was going back and forth. That's and killer. It was a killer, <laughs> but at the same time, it was very helpful because by the time I got to do Brown Boy, I had, I had been on stage doing the Brick Boy. Right. So I knew the, the feeling, the lighting, what it was supposed to be. Mm -hmm. And um, I got to experience because you know, Dance of a Gathering is so much about the feeling that you get with your your cast. Right. So I had I already knew what the type of relationships that we were supposed to create between each other. So when I got to Brown Boy, I was you know kind of like really ready. You know what I mean? I was almost more rehearsed than anybody. Uh -huh. And uh, I think those Robbins ballets really made me, you know go to the next level because until that point I had done a lot of technical things and I had a lot of energy and you know that was clear but the Robbins Ballet really forced me to become then you know a, a, more than just a dancer an artist a, a human being on stage make choices musically and I think that really was what really took me to the next level was the Robbins Ballets. Mm we will return to conversations on dance in a moment, but first we want to take a moment to tell you about our newest sponsor, FabFitFun. If you have yet to hear about FabFitFun, you are not going to believe this offer. FabFitFun is a subscription service that seasonally delivers the best new products hand-selected by their Fab team right to your door. And the best part is you pay $49.99 for a box that is filled with $200 worth of merchandise. Yes, $200. It is an incredible deal and you will love Love indulging in the best new fashion finds, glam, beauty secrets, and fitness gear guaranteed to make you feel fabulous all year long. Also, as a member, you have the option to purchase box add-ons for a remarkable 70% off retail value. You won't believe how much money you save. So sign up now and receive their cozy fall box, only $49.99 with free shipping for a box full of $200 worth of merchandise. To sign up and support Conversations on Dance, visit our website, conversationsondancepod.com slash fabfitfun. 
Um, I do remember, though, when I was at the summer program in 2004, um, there was a lot of buzz, and Sandy Jennings kept bragging in particular about your Apollo. Um, she said it was the best since Jacques Dumbois. Did you work with Jacques on that? Yes, or, yeah. yes. I was very lucky. I I remember that we were on tour for Edinburgh, and it was our last day, and we were going to have a week off, but the schedule for... The first day of work, you know, came out and I looked at it and he said, Apollo, and he had my name in there. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, it was one of those things that there's, you know, the other role I would, it would never come by. You know what I mean? It's like, I knew, of course, about Valentin's Apollo and I loved it. And I thought an iconic role that I don't think it will be for me. So when I saw, you know, my name, it was just I was in shock and then soon enough I found out that uh, they were gonna have Jock the Amboise come in and stage it with Sandy Jennings and so it was such an amazing experience because I have no expectations so I was very open and I you know and then I ended up you know being first cast and Jack ended up really liking me and and the the, the whole experience was just uh very personal because Jack talks so much about how he rehearsed it with Valentin and what and what he wanted out of these things and not and not to try to make it how people were maybe dancing in this company or this company or an image. He ne- never he always wanted me to find it within myself. So it became just a role that all of a sudden I wasn't scared and that I didn't relate at all, and it became something. That, as a, you know, growing experience. So Jack was, just, the whole experience was incredible. I think that uh, it's really awesome, obviously, that you got to work with Jack, but something that's interesting there is that when you're pointing out that he was saying you don't have to imitate the way people do it, um, the role has become more oriented for these like godlike qualities. Yes. But then, and the way that Jock did it was, um, you know, there was sort of like a almost like scoundrelly element to it that it's more, um, it's it's not just like out of the womb a, a god like a Peter Martin's type. Yes. There there are yes. different variations, so he yes, could bring out a different completely. side of you. Yes, and I think he was really trying to emphasize that. One of the things that was very special in this staging was that, you know, we did it with the birth, which, you know, a lot of a lot of people keep the birth, but, you know, New York City Ballet, Valentin ended up taking the birth uh, for Peter, and he didn't find it that it was necessary. The birth brings an element of character and storytelling that uh, forces you to really show that growth, or the audience really becomes much more curious about that because you they see you born, they see this scene, which, you know, you understand that he's, uh, you know, playing music already when he's a baby, and... He's exposed to all of these things. So there is a much more um, defining phases of Apollo with this birth. And I think Jock was very interested in this. And he he couldn't really, you know, when he did it, he was a handsome, tall man. But, you know, the lines and all these things that have become so precious and necessary these days sometimes were not the big emphasis then so i think the emphasis was about more in musicality and the right why are you why are you you know looking at this you know he would say it's the butterfly it's really just the butterfly that you're trying to get it wasn't just you know a fast movement of the hand so i think those things really helped me become like oh okay well i'm not six feet tall or blonde or blue eyes but (laughs) I I can definitely relate with this, uh, you know, this guy that is being born and he can play these instruments and all of this magic that he's, you know, finding that 
he has. So he really, yeah, I think that Apollo has become a, a bit of a, it has different ways to, I guess, interpret it. But the way that it was staged uh, in San Francisco at the time for me was obviously ideal for my my character. Yeah, I love that. I love hearing those stories of coaching and how important they are. And yes. I'm sure it's like given you so much since then too, right? And other things you performed in your career and yes. revisiting Apollo again. So I remember watching you dance in San Francisco Ballet when I w lived in Northern California. And I remember when you left the company. So what was it that brought you to leave San Francisco Ballet and to join New York City Ballet in 2007? Because it is quite rare to join New York City Ballet without you know going to SAB and going through their ranks. So how did this come about? Well, I would say, you know, transition took, you know, it was like years in the making, really. Right. But the major, you know, for 2004, they did a Valentine Centennial. And uh, Peter Martins and Meryl Ashley invited me to come and do Ballo de la Regina. And I was going to dance. I did dance with Lorena Fejo, uh, who was a principal Cuban dancer with uh, Boston Ballet at the time. And... I had done it in San Francisco. And that year they were inviting principals to do some of these iconic roles through the Spring Festival. Um, and so I got lucky and I, I was invited and I came here and I was uh, with the company performing for about two weeks. And during those two weeks, I got to rehearse with the company, perform, watch them on stage and really, you know, falling in love with the energetic, dynamic life that New York City Ballet really has and New York. So I, I went back and... And I thought, wow, there's a lot, there's a lot in life that you can do. And there's a lot of places that you can grow. And there's a lot of opportunities out there. And San Francisco Ballet had really been just my one and only professional company. And I was doing really well. But there was a little seed that I think stayed there. And three years later, you know, I, I had gone through a lot of the San Francisco Ballet rep. I found myself in my late 20s. I was 26, 27. And as you guys know, you know, a dancer's career is so much uh, about timing, you know, and it's limited and things you have, if you want to make a shift or make a choice in your career, you have to really do it at the right time and be smart about it. And I was looking at life and, and, thinking, well, where, where, what's next, you know? I love San Francisco. I could be here forever. I could be doing amazing ballets, but is there more? Can I prove myself in a different environment? Um, can I be closer to home, you know, because I'm also European, you know, and being in San Francisco, so I felt a little bit isolated. There was different things. And and then New York City Ballet was going through a transitional time because Nikolai Hube, Jack Soto, uh, Damian Watson, they were all moving on. Peter Ball, there was really amazing uh, dancers that uh, were sort of retiring, you know, so that generation was done. And I think that it was a good opportunity because the company had seen me and I have worked with every ballet master and mistresses in, in New York City Ballet in San Francisco or in New York when I came, that it seemed like a logical uh, place, you know, for me to come. Because I knew the rep, but there was so much more to it that I could find. Uh, it was New York. There was just so many things that I was like, this could be it. So uh, what were some of the major differences you first encountered or uh, ways you had to adjust between the companies? Well, there's ob the obvious style, right? That the the the, the balancing style is is uh, very strong and is is the is the the roots of the company of New York City Ballet. But my major issue, really, for, to adjust was the schedule. You know, New York City Ballet has an incredible 
schedule that I think is like nowhere in the world. You have to present so many ballots. They give the audience so many choices. Uh, sometimes ballots are not performed uh, for that uh, long. So time time is very important. Right. When you're rehearsing, when you're like, and in San Francisco, the schedule was completely different. You had so much time to prepare. Uh, and then you had the season. So that was the biggest adjustment for me because at first I felt like, you know, you know, a puppy lost in a supermarket. Which aisle do I need to go? <laughs> Which aisle do I need to go? Where, where, where is it? Where is it? And the kids in New York City Ballet, they have seen this since you're in the school. You know this ballads. You know the scheduling. So they come in and they're much more. So nobody tells you where to go. You have to figure it out. So my first year, first year, year and a half, two years were really adjusting to that, to the schedule, and 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 also just gathering uh, new ballads and and. Things that you, you know, once you learn, you know, for temperaments or Opus 19, all these ballads that became, you know, part of my repertoire, then when they came back and you didn't have as much time to rehearse, they were really already in you and you didn't, you didn't need that much time, but you knew, you, you knew how to prepare for things. So that's the one thing that I learned. I would look at the schedule and I said, oh, I'm going to be dancing this and this and this. So I need to prepare. I, this is how much time I'm going to need for this. So I would go to the right ballet master and say, can we rehearse? Mm-hmm. But at the beginning, that was tough because I felt like I was just a bit lost. Right. So after experiencing the country's top companies, um, in fact, the world's best companies, uh, do you feel that you found home here with New York City Ballet? Yeah, definitely. I definitely feel like I have found home. Um for many different reasons. Well, now that I've been with the company for almost actually a decade, it's kind of crazy how time just flies. So the last, I think it took me, you know, after five years, then I really became, I felt very much at home and my, I had a, a very strong repertoire and um, I had danced with a lot of the ballerinas. So I felt very much comfortable within the New York City Ballet. But then many other doors opened, being in New York. You know, I, I the first year that I was here, I danced with Julie Ken. We danced other dances. Uh, then Paloma Herrera, you know, I met her at a cafe, and she told me, oh my God, I've seen you dance many times at the State Theater, and I love you, and we should dance. So we ended up dancing a lot of things. We travel. You know, I danced all these repertoires. So it has opened many doors. So New York has definitely become home artistically for the New York and many other endeavors that have come uh, because of it. So we talked a lot about the schedule or you talked a lot about the schedule at New York City Ballet and how demanding it can be. But you also have another element on top of that that's very demanding is that you do a lot of traveling and you do a lot of gigs like you were talking about. So how do you balance all of that, first of all? And also, what does that offer you your time here at New York City Ballet? How does that enrich your career? It's, it's sometimes hard to balance it out, but we are, um, you know, New York City Ballet has a very crazy schedule in the sense that you're dancing and performing a lot. But when you finish your seasons, you also have those pockets, those weeks. Uh, sometimes it's two, sometimes it's three, sometimes it's one. And those are opportunities for you either to take a week off or sometimes to go into these gigs, into these um opportunities to dance some of the rep that you dance here but maybe with a different ballerina or to even dance new rep i think that i for me for my personal experience has enriched me in my career in many different levels i think that being successful not just at the place of work but at other places makes you come back to work and appreciate the things that you have and also feel much more confident about your success in other places 
so I, in my, I think it's really helped me. Um, and I think that, you know, as a dancer, you have limited time. So the more that you can do things other places and take as many opportunities as you can, then I think you should. So um, what do you think the future holds for you after, uh, after New York City Ballet? That's a tough one. Right? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I find myself, you know, in my late thirties, still, you know, full of energy, and sometimes with a lot more pain, and sometimes I feel like, oh, I'm twenty again. It's like your your world just changes so much from one day to another. But uh, I have been thinking about, you know, the next phase, and because I'm a bit of a control freak, so this has been in my mind for for quite some time. I'm not ready to, you know, stop dancing, but I. I have thought about things that I want to do. I started teaching a lot more and that's something that I enjoy. I want to give back, you know. I definitely want to stay in the dance world. Some dancers these days have the opportunity to, to you know, go to college and do things that are completely different, which I think it's amazing. I think that I feel very comfortable and very passionate about dance and um so i wanna i wanna be able to give back and i would like to be in the front of a leadership uh ballet company or arts organization something where i uh don't have to use my body and my physicality uh to make something magical happen but to use my brain in a different way and and i think you know as you get older you have ideas and you you have molded your your career has molded your taste in a way so sometimes I feel the desire to put that vision out there and um, so I hope that I can find the outlet that I don't think it's easy to find uh, for me to do that in the future well we all look forward to seeing what the next step is for you Um, But that wraps up our major question segment, but we are going to move into (laughs) the lightning round where we just ask you short little questions and you give us the first thing that pops into your head. Okay. So what is your favorite ballet? Oh, so hard. You can have a few. We let people... So hard. Like three. So hard. In the Valentine, I would say... I would say that is uh, probably Apollo. In the Robins, I would say that is other dances or uh, Opus Nineteen. But um, yeah, let's just let's just say that. Those are good ones, <laughs> good choices. Um, what is a dream role that you have not yet danced? I wanted to do uh, Manon, you know, by Kenneth Macmillan. This is a ballet that I that I, you know, it's not gonna happen. I have come to conclusions. <laughs> And I have accepted. I got therapy for it, but it's definitely it's definitely the ultimate. I think male role because it's very passionate. You get to be kind of in all, in so many different environments. You get to show your technique. You get to show amazing partnering and acting, and you become very vulnerable. And like this is an amazing. I think it's one of my favorite roles. Uh, favorite on stage moment. On stage moment, my favorite on stage moments are when I'm dancing with a ballerina that is retiring. That season, that season is incredibly special, 
And that retirement show, it's beyond special. And I've been very, very lucky that I have been able to dance in those retirement shows. The last one that I can remember was Jenny Ringer, and we did Dances of a Gathering. And I remember coming here a long time and seeing Jenny Ringer dance, uh, you know, dances and many other roles and being like, who's this woman? She's so incredibly beautiful. And I remember when I found myself dancing for her, you know, being her brown boy was amazing. And the same thing with Tina LeBlanc and all of these retirement shows, you know, you find this artist that is so, you know, in such a raw moment in their life, but with so much knowledge that you feel very just grateful for that. I was there for that Tina LeBlanc retirement show. You came from New York City Ballet, right? That's right. Because right? you were already here. That's right. That was yes. so cool. What did you guys dance? We did Taipa. See, we that's did right. Taipa. That's right. And we were first in the program. And that was, yes. uh, that was just major for me to be able to do that because obviously I had left and I had been here for a couple of years. So it was the issue. Can I go back? Would Helgi be okay with me going back? Sure. But, you know, Tina was you know, a, a strong-minded ballerina. So she got me there. Oh, I love that. Um, so is there one place that you would like to visit as a guest artist that you have not visited yet? Oh, that's funny, you know? I don't know. I mean, there's many places that... I mean, there's one thing that I would like to do, but that I it's not going to happen. I'm not going to be invited. But, you know, whenever whenever I see whenever I see NDT, you know, Netherlands Dance Theater does these amazing performances here in rep and how the dancers move, I'm obviously not that kind of dancer. But if I wish that I could do something, I, I wish that I could just out of nowhere become <laughs> this amazing modern dancer and be part of this almost like cool... They To me, they look like the cool kids, you know? know what I mean and it's like I was never quite a cool kid so I would love I would love to that would be my desire but obviously not gonna happen <laughs> well that that's it for us today thank you so much for thank joining us thank you so us. much for having me guys it's been a pleasure thank you that was so fun <laughs> thank you for joining us this week on conversations on dance follow us now on social media at at conversations on dance and subscribe now on iTunes so that you will automatically be notified when a new episode goes live. Thanks for joining us this week on conversations on dance. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. 
Sign up with code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.